We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly 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 Dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is an episode we did a few years ago and we never released it. It was actually the first episode we did of the lockdown webinars. It was an interview with Dan Abrams, who I'm sure everyone's aware, sports psychologist, done a lot of work at different levels of the soccer landscape, including the professional level, the elite level, and he's also worked with a number of coaches in coach education. I wanted to bring him on and talk about something that we don't really talk about. We talk about tactical analysis, we talk about game models, we talk about preparation, we talk about training methodology, we talk about relationships, but we don't really talk about that key message before the game actually starts on match day and at half time. So I wanted to get Dan on to talk about that there. And like I said, we put this out and done a live webinar, but we never released the interview on the podcast. We've got new content coming with the podcast. We've got more coming next week. So the MSC podcast is back up and running. I really appreciate your support. Before we start, if you haven't already, please head over to our YouTube page and check out the content there. Modern Soccer Coach on YouTube. We're just up to 27,000 subscribers there. So I really, really appreciate all the coaches that have subscribed and liked and promoted the content. And we're also in the process of updating the website as well with free content to little articles, videos, ideas on sessions and some webinar footage there. Please check it out, modernsoccercoach.com. And if you're looking for some ideas for the season on press and full session plans, scanning, analysis, we've got a ton of content there, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Okay, here's Dan, enjoy. The pre-game talk, yeah. when we deliver it, with so much talk today about player responsibility and ownership, how do we kind of engage them and, and lift them emotionally without, I suppose, becoming a motivational speaker and being relied upon? Let, 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 let's take a step back because when you asked me to talk about this subject, I, I really want to emphasize because, again, sense-making, I, I want to scaffold this down, strip it back, make it nice and simple. If we think about coaching, and I talk about this in my psychosocial coaching model, we're engaged in three things or we're delivering on three things in my opinion, engagement. So that's participation, uh, progression, which for me is learning. I want to engage players. I want to help players learn. Uh, and then the third one is performance. And for me, I'd use the word compete. I want to help players to build the capacity to compete. So when we're thinking of game day, you've got to ask yourself and sit there and write this down now. How can I help my players compete? Because that's what game day is about, isn't it? It's about competing. How do I help my players to compete? Now, everybody out there, certainly coaching at the elite adult level, the developing elite level. Let's go down to 16 plus and maybe we can filter down into maybe into some younger age groups. You'll have your game models, right? Which your principles of play, your, your, your tactics, your game models, whatever term you want to use for that. So obviously, you know, leading up to a game, you've got to ask yourself, how do you help players learn and then be ready to execute on those game or learn your game model. How do we then help players 
execute that game model. And it's that word how, isn't it? The what is the tech tech physical piece. What is the game model? How is the psych social piece? And I don't think anybody, very rarely we consider this. It's the how on that game day. How do I help players execute that game model? get into the right frame of mind. And and I think that it's interesting. You talked about giving players autonomy. Um, I think there's two pathways here. I think there is a directive way and I think there's a non-directive way. And I think they can also gel together. Let me explain. From a directive perspective, I'm passionate about players having a framework to their performance and to the mental side of the game. So having a performance process and having a mental process, having a performance process and having a mental process, a performance process. I think as a coach, it's useful to help, if not imperative, to help players uh, create objectives that are specific, okay, that are as close to controllable as possible, that are positive. All too often, I ask players, what are you trying to achieve on match day, on game day? And they'll go, well, I'm trying to score, I'm trying to win. And it's all a bit fluffy and a bit like, well, we know that, right? What specifically are you trying to achieve? You've got to help players have a performance process. At one o'clock, let's say we've got a three o'clock kickoff. I'm being very English, English Premier League, three o'clock kickoff, right? One o'clock, I want players thinking what they want to achieve from a performance perspective. What is the performance process? Specific, um, as controllable as possible, and positive. I think that's vital. Example, rather than a striker saying, well, I want to score, striker might say, um, constantly searching for space, getting on the end of crosses, attacking the six-yard area, linking up with the midfield. Things that are more specific, that are closer to controllable, that are what they want, that are positive, that are what they want. I think that that's absolutely imperative. That's what I would call a performance process. I think we have to be very, when I say directive there, I want, I, I think players need that. I think players need that. We need to help them. They can't just be wishy-washy and stroll in and just say, well, I want to win. That's not good enough. That is not good enough, in my opinion. I think the other side of this is a mindset process, a mindset process, and uh, knowing exactly what you want to do mentally, getting into the right state of mind, the right frame of mind. And I suppose that comes back to, you know, the motivational speech side of things that you've spoken about uh, there, Gary. And And I think that that You've got to be authentic to your leadership, the type of leadership you want to create. If that's you and you're great at doing that, then do that. But people have to realize, or it's useful for people to realize, for coaches to realize that they don't have to do that to be able to help players get ready mentally for a game. And that's where helping players have a mental process. And that's where something like my technique of a game face can be really useful. Helping players focus on a couple of key words related to them at their best and going out and focusing on those key words, focusing on being those key words. I know a lot of the audience will have heard me talk about a game face before. That just gives a player an idea, a bit of a framework. And so when we bring it back down to back to match day, if we've got a three o'clock kickoff at one o'clock, I want players visualizing, picturing their performance process, those specific objectives. I want players to be picturing their game face, who they want to be on a pitch, how they're going to go about their business. I think that's vital. That is helping them get into the right frame of mind alone. You don't have to project your voice. You don't have, you can whisper 
this. You can get in amongst the players. Have you got your game face? You know, are you, uh, what are you trying to achieve today? What, you know, finding out if they've got specific controllable objectives. You can whisper this. You can have small conversations. You can have them in small groups. You can have them individually. That, to me, is helping players get ready more so than screaming and shouting at them or uh, uh, being motivational through your voice. Um, having players have a game face. That, to me, is helping, empowering players, helping them feel ready. I think that that, that is more empowering than, say, a motivational talk, in my opinion. However, if that is you, or if that is authentically you, then do so. You know, you can you can deliver on a on a talk on a big speech, um, but that's got to be authentic to you, in my opinion. Very good, very good. Um, just watching the Brazil documentary on Amazon Prime, where they've done the, they've got the TD spe- speeches. Then, and interesting how he, in one of them, goes down the whole line and basically tells them. I, I mean. I think it's brilliant because so many, so many team talks. I would, you're thinking about the game, you're thinking about the collective. What you're saying there is to is to get into the individual. I suppose what I would ask you there is how do you kind of balance both? How do you balance the not too much detail tactically between telling three game winners that you've got to go and win us this match, whereas you've got the sub there that's saying like, are you going to talk to me about this? For me, Gary, I think this is where you can be non-directive. And I think that this is where you've got to ask the, the, the player, players individually and as a group, what do you want from me? You've got to ask them the question, what do you want from me? On match day, who are you? What do you need? What do you require? Um, do Sorry. You... Sorry, Dan. Are you, would, you, would you do this at, like, this is youth level? This is like, hey, what do you, is this adult? Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. I, I, well, I think that, I think that's a really, really interesting question. I don't think you do it with eight-year-olds, um, but I certainly think you do that with 11, 12, 13-year-olds um, because I think when, when you engage them with open questions like that, um, I think it's an underestimation of 11, 12, and 13-year-olds um, that they can't engage like that. When you are engaging them like that, um, you're helping them to brainstorm and think about uh, what their needs are and their requirements are on match day. There are clearly 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds uh, at different, if I may use this term, uh, at different cognitive stages of their development. Absolutely. And if you ask an 11 year old that question and they can't answer it, it's it's absolutely fine for you to offer them an answer. But if you're not engaging in that process with very young players, then you're not help. I would, I would put, I would put to people, to coaches, that you're therefore not helping them develop that cognitive side of things, that psychosocial side of things. I think that helping them engage in that at a very young uh, uh, age group can be a really, really useful thing to do. Um, I think that it is striking the balance between what you want to give to a player. We are going to create a game face. We are going to, we are, I'm going to uh, help you create match objectives. That is a compulsory part of what we're doing um, with asking them, what do you need from me? It's getting the balance between the two. And that's not an easy balance to strike. What do you want to give to them? What, what are you insistent on in your coaching culture? What do you want them to do on match day? What do they need from you? 
where do you back off? If you've got a player who says, you know what, coach, I prefer it if you just let me get on with it. Absolutely fine. That's no problem at all. You let them get on with it. Um, if they're older players and they say that to you, then I think you need to set the expectations of, okay, I'll let you get on with it. Uh, I won't come up to you. I won't reinforce anything if that's what you're asking from me. But therefore, what I'm asking for you, from you is a high-performance mindset and as good a delivery on your performance process, um, irrespective of me not offering reinforcement. Does that make sense? Yes. Whenever you're then going into the, the locker room to deliver this here, I, I put a poll out that was... Yeah, do you plan your pre-game speech to the team? It's something I started doing about three or four years ago. Um, or do you are you to go off passion? Again, am I assuming that that's down to the expertise of the coach? Or sorry, the experience or the whatever you're comfortable with? I'd never go off passion. You wouldn't? No. Always write it down? I never said you should write it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I I'm not too sure passion is a stable trait in which to deliver messages. I'm not sure passion is a stable trait from which your players can brainstorm their own solutions if you're going to ask them questions. I'm not suggesting that you don't change tone, volume, tone and volume as you communicate to get your point across that you don't add in pauses, dramatic pauses for effect. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that working on your oratory isn't important. It is. However, you do have a game model. You do want to get points across. You do want to create an environment where players have the capacity to problem solve, where you're giving them the emotional space and the brain space to be able to come up with answers if you're going to ask them questions in that moment and if you're delivering it too high volume of a, of passion i i'm not convinced that is the best um environment to create i'm not saying it should be devoid of passion i don't think you should deliver on passion um yeah well, then there's a great, great kind of segue into the half time then, because when we set up our teams, we typically envision this game of high tempo, um, energetic. You know, that's why we want our teams to play. When that doesn't come in, it's a, we're almost conditioned as coaches to then spark it in ourselves, in our communication. But in doing this here, do you think we can, I suppose, lead ourselves down a road of, shouting, screaming, and getting no information across? Okay, so it's a really, really great question, and it gives me the opportunity to get more specific here. So I've talked about a performance process involving um, specific, controllable, or as close to controllable, and positive plays. Um, a mindset process. When I talk about a mental skills framework, when I, get, when I go on Twitter and I talk about mental skills framework, a high-performance mindset, okay? I'm talking about three specific skills. The capacity to pay attention. Attention is a, a, is a mental skill that is required. Um, the capacity to compete at the right intensity level. Attention 
and intensity. The psychological term for that is activation. Okay, so we can be too intense, we can be under intense, and we can have a sweet spot. Attention and intention, uh, uh, in intensity. Players have to pay attention. Players have to execute with intensity at the right intensity. And then players have to execute their skills, their actions with positive intent. So when you strip sports psychology back from a competitive perspective, and I'm saying this to your audience, when you strip competitive skills, mental skills back, for me, it's attention, intensity, intent. Okay. So you're talking about the intensity piece and those three things are joined up. Okay. So if I'm overly intense, if I'm overly aroused, horrible term that we might use in sports psychology, um, my attention might be damaged. My capacity to execute with positive intent might be poor. So intensity is a big deal. Okay. If you feel that your team and a group of individuals or an individual specifically isn't competing at the right intensity level, then you might alter your communication with that individual or group of individuals. Again, tone, volume, content. We can be louder. We can be more forceful. We can turn up the volume. Absolutely. However, content matters. Content matters. So um, action-based words. Again, if I may say, this is where my game face can be quite powerful. Action-based words can be really useful here. Uh, words like alert, alive, lively, aggressive, upbeat, sharp, action-based words. Words that are descriptive, who I want to be on the pitch. So you don't have to shout at a player who's not intense. You might ask them to be sharp, directive. You might ask them what sharp looks like in the second half, non-directive. Um, so you're asking them the question. Content matters. And for me, content matters as much, if not more so, than um, volume and tone. And also what's important here is to relate it to your game model. So if a striker example is looks lethargic and flat and you might say, okay, Joe, I've, I've no, let's be directive here. I've seen you, you're lethargic, you're flat. We've talked about this. I want you to be sharp, alive, alert, sharp, alert, alive, alert. You might repeat those a couple of times. You want him to him or her to picture that sharp, alert, alive. Can you picture that? Can you see that? Can you feel that? What does that look like? What are you doing? So we know in our game model that we want, I want you to defend from the front. For you to defend from the front, you've got to be sharp, alert, alive, sharp, alert. I want you to be sharper. I'm watching you from the sideline. Show me sharp. Show me alert. Show me alive in the second half. I'm marking you out of 10 for that. We'll talk about that after the game. Accountability. Accountability. Maybe you can go and have a quiet chat with that person to reinforce. But again, content matters. Words matter. Words matter. So we want to use objective. That drives intensity. Also drives attention. Also drives positive intent. So I think we need to get away from tone and volume as purely 
the isolated forerunners of intensity and understand that content matters. And if we can marry performance process with mindset process, so specifics around a game model that are specific, as controllable as possible and as positive as possible towards what you want, not what you don't want, with mindset process, alert, alive, use your self-talk, talk to yourself out there, talk to yourself out there, squash your ant, automatic negative thought. If you brought that into your environment, squash your ant. That's absolutely vital. So you can see how impactful, if you as a coach have a performance process and a mindset process, you can use that at half time. Bang, bang, short, sharp points, individual. You got you talked about team objectives. Have a team have team objectives, absolutely. But make them specific. Make them con as controllable as possible and make them positive in and around your game model. Uh, and they can lead off into individual objectives, individual, individual objectives. So um, I think that intensity piece is driven by the words you use with relation to the specific objectives players in the team have with relation to the game model. And underpinning all of that, it's hormonally underpinned. It's hormonally underpinned. So again, as a coach, if you can get clear in your mind and it's okay that you can't see this and necessarily see it, see it that you want to empower players and that's testosterone and adrenaline, testosterone and adrenaline and just staying sharp can release testosterone and adrenaline. Upbeat can release testosterone and adrenaline. Sharp alert line, sharp alert line. Come on, your game face is sharp alert line. I want to see sharp alert line. I want to see sharp alert line second half. That's what I want. You did that last week, sharp alert line, testosterone, adrenaline, and then your feel-good chemicals, endorphins, dopamine. You don't have to know that. Feel-good empowerment. Feel-good empowerment. Empower players, help them feel good with relation to your game model, with relation to their specific objectives. Brilliant. We've just had a really good point on, on the – on the chat room, someone's talking about two coaches then who one's the assistant coach and head coach, one's the the positive one coming in and, and say they're delivering this message and then someone else is coming in and being, in doing that with this here, what you're talking about, do you then run the risk of completely derailing all the good work by having someone who's just going to yeah, use a different set of language that's going to maybe overmine it? I think I'd want to um, drill down a bit more on what good cop and bad cop looks like because I think we're too ready to consider bad cop as the, the guy or the girl who goes in and shouts the place down, and I don't think that's the bad cop. I think the bad cop can be the one who points out, who critiques, but in a in a in a manner that doesn't undermine the good cop and doesn't undermine the main coaching points and doesn't undermine the confidence of the player, I think the bad cop can still correct. But the the job of the bad cop is more towards what's not happening, while still 
reinforcing what needs to happen. I think the good cop, who I suppose from a traditional standpoint might be a, an assistant coach or a couple of assistant coaches, will can then go in and reinforce what a player wants or, or what a player should be doing. Um, I think that is about co-coaching. I think co-coaching needs to be agreed beforehand as to what that process looks like. But I think that we need to not be lazy and we need to make sure – it's a great question. We need to make sure we know what a bad cop looks like specifically because that's not a sh necessarily a shouter and a screamer. That's somebody who is just critiquing more and using language relating to what's not happening more so than what is happening. The good cop is focused on what is happening. Very good. Very good. Um, Post-game analysis, whenever, you know, again, similar to the first, similar to the, we are, we draw on too much in emotion where how can we help? I suppose I've never personally been a big fan of talking to the team after games, um, but there has to be some message because you've got to leave them with, I get that there, but how can you as a coach deliver something that's going to be, useful without you know basically a giving an overview of the game emotionally or b sitting down there for 45 minutes and and kicking every ball again with them if you're invested in winning if you're passionate about winning then you work on an individual level as much as you do on a group level if you're passionate about winning at the competitive level which coaches claim to be then you're as invested with, of, at the individual level as much as you are at the team level. And too often, our processes within our coaching practice are team processes. It's a team game, I understand that. And there's not enough specifics around the individual. And the reason why I'm saying this to start the answer to this question is because I'd want every individual to have a process on match day before, during, after the game. I think that's imperative. If you as a head coach can't come back to asking your people, your players, and you're all invested in winning, you're all invested in the high performance, you're all invested in a high performance mindset, I hope, you've got to have the capacity to come back to your players and go, did you stick to You've got to have the capacity to help them have an individual plan. And then you've got to have, and that leads on to the capacity to have a conversation after a game and say, right, you've got your individual process here. You'll be experiencing a bunch of emotions right now. You know what's best for you right now. But I'm delivering, I'm always going to deliver a message after the game. So you've got to suspend that and listen to me. So you, you've got to lay down that you're going to do that whilst every individual has a way of dealing with that, dealing with the emotion of the game. That's just such an imperative. If you're invested in winning, that's, that's an imperative part of it. Match day is psychosocial. End of story. It's psychosocial. It drives everything. So you, you've got to have that. So, and then it's a simple case. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. 
and different coaches will have their different ways to do it. And some people online would know better than me what's best for them. But I, I, I certainly think that pointing out, I mean, it's almost cliche to say it, isn't it, Gary? But pointing out what did go well related to the performance process as a team, what did go well related to high-performance mindsets, what potentially needs to go better in the coming week for the, to, to the next game. I think that that is uh, I think that that is that is a useful thing to engage in um, alongside some individual chats afterwards if you feel that you can if, when you know what players you can engage and you know what players you can't then do so you know if Joe can can have a conversation but but Jim can't have a conversation with Joe don't have a conversation with Jim but every player needs an individual process is every player, what about the players that aren't going to, I suppose, buy in? Or I, I watched that Michael Vick 30 for 30. I don't know if you've seen it, Dan. It's, a, it's amazing, amazing insight into like how talent can actually take a player away from effective processes because he's just mega, mega talented. Different coaches trying to get him into different things and he's just 10 levels above anyone else. What if the players basically aren't committed? Because you don't see a lot of the mental work come out. In the gym, you see yourself get stronger, get better. Uh, the psych work, a lot of them, you know, will will get paid lip service. How do you you mentioned there about holding them accountable earlier on? How do you help them, give them the support, and hold them accountable to it? Are you kind of asking me at Barcelona? Would Lionel Messi have a would he build into mental skills? Would he bother? Is that kind of what you're asking me? Uh, along those lines, asking you if uh, Susie on the U16 team who's going to go on a foray to North Carolina doesn't do it. So does Mary see the value of it? How do you get Susie to be like, all right, well, you're going to need this in two years' time. Maybe you're getting by on talent alone right now. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good question. I think every individual is going to be a different, um, a different case in point. I think it starts with you as a coach and what you want for your environment, what you want for for your team, what's what's uh, valuable to you. Um, because ultimately, certainly sixteen years plus, it's a team game. I know there's individual development within there. Clearly, there is. Uh, I think there's two ways to answer this. It's a tough question to answer. I think there's two ways to answer this. I think the first way is that um, if you decide as a coach that you want certain processes within your coaching practice, then those processes must be compulsory. If you've got a player who is so good, has so much skill in his or her feet, and gets by without um, engaging those processes, um, then I think you've got a decision to make. I think that you either insist, I think you, you either, you're insistent because you, your culture drives this. This is what you're insistent about. This is what every player does. This is what your leadership group is driving. This is what your assistant coach is driving as well. 
and it doesn't matter how much skill they have in their feet, they've got to engage. Um, and often they've got so much skill in their feet, as you say, they'll get away with it. So they'll look like they're sticking to a game face. They'll look like they're mentally good a lot of the time. I'm not saying that's with everybody, but they look like they will. Um, I think if you've got a player who's not sticking to it, who's not doing it, it, it's providing evidence of them not doing it and demonstrating evidence as to why that will hold them back. Again, I think that's easier said than done, but I un but I think you've got to go down that path. I think the second way to do to do that is to let them get away with it. Um, and I think certainly at the adult elite level, you have to be a little bit flexible on that. I think that you've got to, at the adult elite level, I think, and maybe even the developing elite level, it might be college. Maybe you've got to let them get away with it because you've got to appreciate there are individual differences. There are individual differences in personality. There are individual differences in ability. And I think that if you've got a player and I'm talking about one player. I'm not talking about loads. I'm talking about a player who is so good. A Zidane, a Messi. Then you've got to have good, honest conversations with your leaders, with your senior players, and get counsel from them, what they feel. I think that that's so important. I think that having communication with your leaders, your senior players, and seeing what's acceptable for them. What is it acceptable that this player contravenes our values, contravenes the behaviors that are underpinned by those values? Is this player, this player so good that we'll allow that? If this player, if they believe no, then they believe no, and they you empower them to drive that. You empower them, you empower Lionel Messi to buy into a game face. He definitely should. You empower Zidane to buy into a game face. You empower Wayne Rooney at Derby at the moment to buy into a game face. I think the best thing that you can do is have a, a, a value-driven culture that's developed by your, your players, your people, your team, because they can drive that for you. And then I think individuals get away with less. I think if you want to let them get away with it, it's okay, all right, but but we need the performances from you. Um, I think if you're talking about 14, 15-year-olds, go and find another club. If, if you're elite forming, if you're just, if it's just participative, then it's participative. It's a part if it's 15-year-olds participating, recrea recreational, as you might call it in the States, it doesn't really matter, does it? But if it's a, an elite forming, say, at the youngest level of 14, 15, 16 and onwards, then you probably, as a, as a, as a, as a coach, want to decide what your psychosocial processes are. And if players aren't going to adhere to those, then you've got to ask whether you, know, you want that player in your club. Uh, Mario was asked about... Does it get to a point in the team if they've been coached by the same coach, by the same players, and it's successful? The changing room almost runs on autopilot by the senior players. Is that is that what you're saying that it shouldn't run on autopilot? Or are you saying that that's a that's an effective cultural uh, 
growth or whatever you want to call it. That's yeah. a great debate to have. Um, let's pluck figures out the air. I'm going to be naughty here and pluck a figure out the air. 80-20. I think if you've got an experienced group of players um, that are well, 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 well rounded, well, well coached, you know, 80% of it is going to be uh, on on autopilot, if that's the word to use. They're just going to do these things on habit. Uh, I think 20% of it needs to be done deliberately um, through whether it's uh, deliberate engagement in process, reinforcement, posters, um, <clears throat> conversation about it. Um, I, I, I think that still has to be there. Excellence, you could call it excellence. Yes, excellence is a habit, but excellence isn't just an unconscious habit. It's a deliberate habit. And this has to be reinforced um, all the time. Not everything all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But it's making sure you're you're deliberately doing the same things. Otherwise, you slip. And when you slip, that's when you're that's when you're going to die. So if you if you're if you're going to you know if you're going in and part of your coaching process is to ask good open questions to check understanding for your game model. Bang. I mean, I never see that. I never ever ever see that. Get that guy. I never, ever see, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm probably, there's a whole host. We've got 172 online right now. whole host of coaches do this. But if you think that you want players to go out to execute your game model, I often see instruction, directive coaching. This is what I want to see. I never necessarily see an open question. What is it that you're going to do today with relation to the game model? What is it that you're doing? You know, what are the responsibilities in your role? Tell me about that. Here's this poster of uh, team shape, etc. our pattern of play. Tell me about that. Take me through that. Test for understanding. Anyway, that's an aside. But I'm saying that because that's the coaching process. That's an effective coaching process, right? So you need to make sure you're on top of that. Are you doing that all the time? If you're going to do it, you're probably going to do it. All, got to do it all the time. What are you engaging in What you, that you're going to deliberately engage in all the time? There's absolutely, in experienced teams, there's going to be a lot of good stuff that they're doing naturally. But don't take that for granted. Do not take that for granted, in my opinion. That's just my opinion, Gary. Brilliant. Dan, thank you so much. This has been brilliant. And we'll keep in touch and, and we'll possibly do another one soon. Let's do it. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.